we are back once again What's for another Dream podcast. What's good? <laughs> no, I'm good, man. You? I'm blessed, man. I'm blessed. Today was like the first day where restaurants open, I think. Or was it? Mm. Yeah, I know bars yeah. and hairdressers and that, but. Yeah, I can't lie. I've seen your hair lately, man. Shut it's, up, bruv. Don't abs- even chat no, to not- me. Your, your hair is mad. Your Don't even try it. Flat. Your hair's looking nuts, brother. Don't even try me. <laughs> but I'm not gonna lie. Like I was in Tottenham um earlier today, right? And I walked past my barber to like book an appointment, and this man was like, "No, I get in the chair now, bro." Get in the chair. <laughs> you tried to stick it on me. I was like, "Nah, man, got work next week. Do it then. Do it then." But no, nah, I'm glad stuff is starting to open up, man. We can actually start to see, like, the light in the tunnel, so. Oi, what's the first thing you're going to do this week? Me? Um, yeah. What am I going to do? I'm going to go link one of my friends on Wednesday in, like, Croydon, mm. and then I'm going to go on a family trip on the weekend to, like, Caravan oh, Park. Mm. So, yeah, that's about oh, that it. That sounds nice, man. It'll be nice yeah. to enjoy the weather as well because it's been quite hit and miss. It's been shifting throughout the throughout the. Do you know weeks, what so. though? Today it's actually minus three. Why? Minus three. Yeah, it's minus three, man. Ah, oh. oh, so fair play, fair play. Freezing here, but hopefully it picks mm. up in it because it's been it's been sunnier. So soon now you can out. hope. Yeah, soon link up. But yeah, today another drain us podcast. Mm-hmm. And uh. There's so much to talk about. So much has been happening over the past few weeks. We have a new guest star, my guy Ags. How you doing? Chelsea's yo, finest. yo, yo. Yes, <laughs> thank you. you know what I'm that, was, that was, a, de- that was a decent intro. I'm not going to lie, Dre kind of bigged it up. So. <laughs> it was very simple. Like, yeah, today we got eggs. Okay. <laughs> this one's already trying to stick on me. I <laughs> Uh, I think we nice, introduced nice, nice to nice, nice to jump on, man. Do you know what I'm saying? Especially um, anything football related. Do you know what I'm saying? When it's when it's a passion and stuff. You see, I bet, like I've, uh, the podcast that I've heard um, prior to this is always just like a natural conversation. You know what I'm saying? A conversation that you'd have even if it wasn't being recorded. You know, so it's, mm. I'm glad to be on. Yeah. Mm. Now, we're always glad to have a fan on. So yeah, man, definitely. <laughs> Hey, this guy. I'm, I'm going to let that one slide here. <laughs> We've got an hour and a half, innit? 100%, 100%. All right, so something that we do with all our with all our new guests is we have them basically state what team they support and why they started supporting them. So tell us your story, man. 2003, yeah, so... start supporting Chelsea because they got money. There you yeah. go, 100%. <laughs> it's finished. You know what the funny thing is? <laughs> At the time that I did start supporting Chelsea was around... Um, I think just just around that era there where I think Abramovich <laughs> might have just took over or whatnot. But that's what I'm saying. What it's going to sound honey. funny. It's going to sound funny. That's what I'm saying. But I need to give you the full context here. I uh, think it was, if I'm not mistaken, it was around the Ranieri times uh, when he was kind of managing Chelsea. Um, the, thing, the thing was, obviously, at that age group, I would have probably been at the time let's say, in primary school still. So we're talking about, is it 10, 8, eight to 10 or something like that. Um, and then, obviously, everyone's talking about football. It's like, especially in London, like it's, 
it's like the probably the biggest sport, arguably the biggest sport, especially that era was, you know, the Arsenal one undefeatable era. Yeah. So there was hella Arsenal mm. fans, man. Hella. Do you know what I said? I remember the with the, the Arsenal sponsor. Was it was it who was the sponsor? Was it O2? Yeah, it was O2, uh, wasn't it? Yeah, the O2 sponsor. No, the, that, the iconic the Thierry no. Re- O2. No, no, no. Yeah, it was a red. O3 to O6. That was. That's ah. what I'm saying. Around that area where they had the dark red kit, I think they just won the, the Premier League. Um, and I think it was the FA Cup era where you man beat, was it United? Penalty. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Era. So that was the era that obviously I was starting to understand football and appreciate it. Uh, and then it was just obviously Chelsea was kind of popping at that time as well. There was not like they weren't the biggest club at the time, but they were kind of slowly starting to uh, make ways and progress. Mm. And my dad be, being a Chelsea supporter as well, it just kind of made sense mm-hmm. to, to be supporting them. So it wasn't nothing to do with, because obviously I can't, in hindsight, you can say, oh yeah, he's a glory hand, or, or that's what people will paint the picture. But at, at that time there, Chelsea was still kind of in at the beginning of their journey, if that makes sense. So I can't foresee the future and say, oh yeah, Chelsea's going to, be arguably the best <laughs> in the next 10 years be the biggest like the, the most successful club I can't foresee that but at the time Chelsea were just on the on the start to get they were just uh, kind of making strides then it was just like I said more that's uh, the main reason was obviously my dad supporting Chelsea and then kind of got into it that way and I've been Chelsea fan since mm. Growing up when you were supporting Chelsea what what player inspired you most when it came to like you developing a love for football because you lot had a lot of legends back in the day. Yeah, that's a good question. You know, it's. I think it's just going to be like the the cliche answers, like the the standard answers. That like, I think Terry Lampard, Drogba, like even though most people would say the the same name, the same players, I just feel like they were the most influential players at the time. Um, mm. Even like a Joel Cole. Um, oh, he was time, he, he was, was fantastic, cruddy, man. He was cruddy. Like he was the way the way he. Would, they carry the ball, dribble the ball, his goals. He was very influential, especially at that he, time. He was there, a very right? technical player. Away. Yeah. 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 So those those players kind of there, I would say, um, had probably the biggest influence on myself personally. That was like at that era. And then of recent era, it would be more like Eden Hazard. Because um, as fans, I think we could all agree on, we tend to go for the players that have the most flair. Um, maybe have the most goal contributions in the team or arguably the best player in the team. That's who mm. we kind of um, kind of create a closer bond towards normally. So it wasn't any different with me. No, that's fair enough. That's fair, fair enough. enough man. I- I'm surprised you didn't support Arsenal growing up only because uh, we've had so many different people on the pod and when they were young, the first team that they actually supported was Arsenal and you kind of alluded to it in the sense of when you first started watching football it was Arsenal who was like the team that was popping back then if it wasn't Manchester United winning things so apart from your dad do you think that there was another key moment where you thought nah you know it's Chelsea over Arsenal you know what the thing the main the main tipping point would be my dad because even um because like I said before, I jumped to the podcast. I was watching Turkish League, and he supports Fenerbahce, so I, I support Fenerbahce as well from Lille. Uh, so mm-hmm. the, the the thing that made makes it because from young, if you're kind of all you've been shown is one team, you kind of tend to stick with that. So if you look at a lot of households, 
they a lot of them might just be an Arsenal household or Tottenham household or Man United. But you might get the odd one that might support a different team. But usually, if if all you're kind of showing them and teaching them from young is one team, mm-hmm. um, they kind of stick with that. Because even for my example, I've got two younger siblings and I've kind of pushed the Chelsea agenda on them. And they both <laughs> you can't be ruining their life from young man. Yeah, yeah. so they're gonna be hella so stressed, bro, growing up. <laughs> yeah, well, it's better than support Liverpool. Do you know what I'm saying? I thought, look, at least let them let them have the enjoyment of being able to see their team lift multiple trophies together. So yeah, yeah, see, they, 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 can't really <laughs> they can't get bantered. You know what I'm saying? Same way, like Trent missing the Euro squad, didn't it? Oh, that's calm. Oh, you know that's calm. He can, he can rest. You can rest and come back yeah. again. Man said he rest. Didn't look like that. Didn't Man look said like rest. That. The next game he gave. The next game he missed that. He gave the, the performance of the year. So he obviously hurt, man. You know I mean? mm. <laughs> Big facts. Yeah. But, um. In yeah. In regards to that question, bro. Yeah. I think even though at the time Arsenal was the prominent team, um, it was the the, the influence on my dad that created that tipping point. But even to this day, if we was to put like our bias aside, mm. uh, from personal experience, the two teams that tend to have the most supporters would either be Arsenal or United. Um, and I think a lot of that, especially in my generation, because a lot of that stems from the success that both clubs had yeah. when we were younger. Because obviously back in the day, Arsenal under people with the FA Cups, the titles. And then just before that era, it was United. So people who might have started watching football um, from my generation were maybe five, four, kind of six years old. That was when United were popping with Alex Ferguson and stuff. So people would have kind of gravitated towards that team. Uh, but with me, it was just more Chelsea were at the, the start of their, their kind of transition period. Um, they were kind of gradually getting better, better. And they were getting, they were starting to get star players. Um, and obviously, like I said, the influence on my dad just kind of tipped it to that way. And with me, it's all about loyalty. I don't, I don't like to kind of flip-flop between teams or not even not just team but things in general if I kind of support something I stick with it whether it's through <laughs> the good moments or the bad moments you know? oh we're gonna have to bring um Ags and Ifion on the same show you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> literally 100% this we've we've got one of our guest stars he he went from supporting Chelsea to then United and Huddersfield and I think he might have some love for Spurs as well yeah, what did, no he's never said that <laughs> What are you talking about? Let's <laughs> call him out on the pod. Nah, hey, <laughs> that's Mourinho, is it? How did Huddersfield come in, though? How did Huddersfield come in? Yeah, literally. Was that, was that when after they beat Man United or something? He's like, yeah, say no more. That. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> oh, yeah, nah, it, that, it's, it's a very odd one. It's an odd fact. I understand so. if players, like there's certain guys that ain't, usually the ones that kind of flip between teams are the ones that ain't um, too into football, like, they usually say, yeah, like new rivalries. <laughs> no, no, no. They say even like a direct or insult to anyone. But like, I'm just talking on a general consensus. Usually the people that I've come across that mm. kind of changing teams, usually they go, depending on what team's the hottest at that moment, they'll kind of support them. But if you was to ask them deep, like proper, like try to uh, ask them questions where they could try and give you insight into football, they wouldn't know. Because they'll be like, yeah, I don't watch it too much. But if I had to choose a ch- team, it would be Chelsea or United or if Liverpool, do you know what I'm saying? Whoever's popping at the time. Um, nah, hit, but I usually the that, ones who are kind of following football week in, week out, it's rare to find. I wouldn't say rare, but it's more unlikely to find the, 
it is unlikely. Yeah, because um, nah, we're just we're just calling if yeah, but um, he's a lover of football. He just loves football in general, and so like just watch different teams play and he appreciates different aspects of each team. Mm. But, um, but speaking of watching teams play, last weekend, a lot of big, big results. <clears throat> and I guess, <laughs> what game do you even start with? What, what game happened on Saturday? Are we talking about this weekend? Yeah. Mm, this weekend, this weekend. Oh yeah, yeah for the record, the game was crazy. We was meant to have Ags on last week, but what happened? Yeah, Chelsea held smoke. Oh, he didn't come on. (laughs) He didn't come on. He held smoke. Coming on. No, no, no. Let's correct it. I said I'm not coming on before the show even starts, like before the result. So, Mm. like I said, Baz can confirm that. I didn't say, oh, I'm not coming on after the result. It was before the result. Something popped up. It's true, but you was feeling nervous about that game, innit? Rightly yeah, I wasn't even nervous. Like I said, I bought I bought Alonso into my FPL team. That's how confident I was. So, oh gosh. Nah, there was no nerve. Nah. But it's it's a, it's a, it happens here. It's football. Like you can never hundred percent predict any result. There's there's always anomalies that happen. Same way when Liverpool lost seven two to Aston Villa. We didn't predict that, but it happens, you know what I'm saying? I guess the, the best place to start off is that City Leeds game. Uh Leeds winning 2-1. That was that is the definition of a smash and grab. Or yeah, was, was it smash and grab? That was a mad thing. Yeah, that was yeah, yeah. on CE side, that was terrible, man. Because I think you take into account mm. the the Leicester were 10 men for like over 50 minutes or something. 100 percent Yeah, that was a poor, poor result. Yeah, I think here's here's some of the match stats for that game. City had 71% of the ball. 29 shots with seven on target, nine corners, and 12 fouls. And they barely could break Leeds down. I felt when Leeds went a man down, Leeds were just so tough. Because as all football teams should practice most of the time, whenever you have 10 men, just go fully compact. Don't give the opposition any space. And I'm not sure if you lot watched the whole game or just parts of it, but Leeds were extremely disciplined in holding holding their shape, shifting whenever they needed to, picking up uh, runners into the box. And they kept City at bay. They were just passing it around, um, kind of the passing it around the box, and they didn't really have much to do. A lot of their shots that game were long shots from Fernandinho, apart from mm. the one time where someone stepped forward and they had their opening. But I thought that was Leeds showing everyone that they actually have it within themselves to defend because that's been one of their critiques for over the season it doesn't matter if you're scoring like four or five they're also letting in four or five each time as well yeah. so I was I was actually really really impressed with Leeds but I don't know how you lot felt about the game um I felt like City have even though I feel like it's definitely done I think they've opened a little bit of the door to United and they didn't need to do that do you know what I mean? I think they could have just wrapped it up and now they've just given them a bit of hope, which is never really a good thing because who knows? Do you know what I mean? Like, do you think they've really opened it up? I mean, the gap's still huge. No, nah, well, it's only eight points as far as I know. Um, Even that's, though... That's... Yeah, it's like, even though eight points is is 
eight points, like ideally you wouldn't have wanted to do that. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, but yeah, no, I've I think City obviously from like from what I saw, they had what like 29 shots? 29? Yeah, 29 shots, something like that. Yeah, like but also within their team, there was so much rotation. Like I don't yeah. think um Kevin De Bruyne started, Aguero didn't start. Yeah. I don't even think Mares started. I actually think that Pep wouldn't be too worried about it because I think it was one of them games where he knows his team outplayed them. I think he, he would have only been concerned if Leeds outplayed City. And I think City did have one eye on the Champions League. So that's probably the main cause of it. But obviously, they shouldn't have overlooked Leeds who clearly aren't a bad team in any form. So, yeah, mm. that's my view on it. No, I hear that. I hear that. But yeah, Ags. So, what was your what was your thoughts on the Leeds game? Yeah, no. With in regards to Leeds game, I can understand why Pep went out with the squad he did because that was more like a B to C team. Like there was a lot of B players and come certain C players that were on. Um, because if you look at the fixture list that's coming up, they literally have games back to back because they still have the the Champions League game that isn't over because it's only two one. That's that's on Wednesday, and then they got the FA Cup semi final Saturday, and then the Premier League, Premier League game against Aston Villa Wednesday, and then the ear uh, the EFL Cup final on the twenty fifth. So there was even because from time your he's benched Diaz, so Diaz has only missed one game the whole season. And then he's he's turned out to miss this one as well. Obviously, that's probably one of the biggest reasons. Um, personally, I feel like the result may have not gone in City's way because he's probably arguably in contention for player player this season for City at least. Um, he's been phenomenal. So him not being not playing um, that game obviously played a part. But I can understand why there was a lot of rotation. He has got a lot of games coming up. He is still in contention for four, uh, four trophies as well. Um, and he, he does do it. He's been doing it all season where he rotates the squad because um, it means that everyone is match fit, if that makes sense. So he could put on any player at any game and they should be ready to, to give it their all and they, they could give a very high performance. It's just with Leeds, they probably... I think Leeds... Uh, the, the surprise here was Leeds performed a lot differently than what people may have expected or what maybe Pep may have expected because we've, mm. we've known Leeds to be that attacking side that just kind of go all out um, but leaky at the back vulnerabilities mm. exactly mm. whereas with this game I watched the first half and a tiny bit of the, the second half um, and in the moments I was watching little, uh, Leeds were very they were very sturdy even though City had a lot of possession they, they did have like I said from the, from the um, moments that I watched they didn't have a lot of clear cut chances like they usually do um, and obviously mm. A lot of the attackers that were playing ain't the attackers. They ain't probably the most informed. So whether that was like a, a Sterling um, or who else? Uh, Fernand Torres was playing on the stage. Squad. Yeah, Ferran Torres and stuff like that. So they're not the most informed players for City right now. So the, the, the opportunities that they did have, obviously they didn't kind of utilise it. Um, let's see who the squad was actually. It was, yeah, so Ferran Torres, Sterling, Zinchenko, Ben Andino, I so think Zinchenko played today. in the midfield this game. Yeah, yeah he, he did. He did. He did. He did yeah, he, he did. did. So they played Mendy squad, left back. There's one. So Jesus Silva, 
um, Cancelo. So there's about three on the outfield plays. There was about three to four that kind of play quite regular, and the rest were like I said about B or C team players. So um, yeah, no, but Leeds, Leeds, kind of. I was surprised by their defensive performance. They did, they did kind of manage to shut out City, especially when you take into account they went ten man. But sometimes going down 10, 10 man can have a reverse effect, if that makes sense. There's a lot of games that I've watched where if a team goes 10 man, the mm-hmm. opposition finds it difficult to, to break break into them because obviously they have to be more sturdy as a unit. So they, they create this defensive block. Yeah, I don't know if you want to call it a bus or whatever, but sometimes if they, if they have a draw, they're winning and they drop to 10 man. They could just it's, close it's up, shut up shop. Shut shop. Yep. Exactly. Mm. Shut shop and then do a counter, if that makes sense. So get a goal on the counter. And when you mm. do that, it's very difficult to break them down. Uh, but sometimes going 10 man could work in your advantage in their in their awkward way or in their weird way, if that makes sense. I've watched a lot of games where team will go 10 man and still end up winning. Um even nice, when true. you wouldn't expect it. So yeah, it was a, it was could have scored two more as well. Like, crazy, I think Rafinha missed a big chance. Was that? Oh, we're talking about second half now. Yeah, in the second half, there was I think there was two opportunities where Rafinha went one on one with Edison. He tried to round him, but then Edison got a really good tackle on him. And I think there was one else where I forgot who I forgot who it was, but they were they were breaking, and then I think Stones took him out uh, on the counter yeah. and got booked. But and then obviously they scored. Uh, in the last few minutes but yeah no yeah, that was well, a, a as you're saying it was a great performance you shop shop difficult to break down and you just hit them on the break and you have to and they have the players to do that they have the players to do that players like Rafinha are probably one of the most informed players right now mm. um, yeah very skillful very good on the ball very skillful very quick Could definitely has a eye for the past yeah so they have mm. they have players um, kind of Phillips and stuff that could, could uh, definitely because they're very effective on in counter attacking football, even games mm-hmm. prior to this. When we watch them, when they're doing their attacking, um, kind of they're going full attack, they, they're getting people bombarded left, right, cent- central midfielders all kind of running down. Um, and that's a lot of the time that's where they get exposed because when they, when they don't convert the chance, they get hit on the counter themselves, and then but it exactly. obviously worked for them on Saturday, yeah, no, 100%. Uh, going into the next game, this game had me stressing, bruv. I remember I, uh, I was in my living room, I was watching it with my dad. And in the first half, is this is the Liverpool Aston Villa game. In that first half, Liverpool, uh, we just wasted so many big opportunities. Mo Salah for on goal, flopped it. Um, Jota called offside. It's, that's some dubious call, by the way. Because what, a bit of his a bit of his shoulder shirt was offside to the guy's knee. Uh, Firmino, you know, missed. We, we had so many big opportunities that we threw away. And then I remember I looked at my dad and I said, I bet you, I bet you Aston Villa's going to score their first shot. And what happened? Ollie Watkins turns, bang, right under Allison's hands. And it kind of just summed up Liverpool for me because we've just been trying and trying Huffing and puffing, and we're failing to convert a lot of the chances that we're creating. And there was one graphic that was sent to me actually. 
and it was based on the attacking efficacy in the Premier League of this season. And I found it really interesting because there was four different categories. There was aggressive and clinical. There was passive and clinical. There was passive and wasteful. And then there was aggressive and wasteful. And basically it means there's how many chances you create and put away compared to how many you don't. And does anyone have a guess at which area Liverpool comes in? Wasteful. What do you think, Ags? Well, I'm not even going to lie. I just heard passive something, passive something, and then <laughs> aggressive something. Yeah. So, yeah. So basically, <laughs> but I know, Liverpool... I know what you're trying to imply. Obviously, I know you're 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 trying to say that that the statistics are probably going to show that Liverpool have wasted a lot of opportunities in the final so third. Honestly, and like compared to someone like City, who they're aggressive and clinical, so they're creating a high volume of chances and putting them away. Or even someone like Tottenham, where they're passive, so they're not really creating many chances, but they're one of the most clinical teams in the Premier League because Harry Kane just seems to be on form. Son seems to be doing it for them. But it really summed up Liverpool's season, and I'm glad we got the win. I'm glad Trent came up in the last few minutes and scored that wonderful goal you know, right into the bottom corner. But it there seems to be an issue at Liverpool where our rhythm is just off or the players don't seem to really believe that they have the quality to go forward and dominate these matches that we had known them to dominate for like the past two years. So, I don't know. What do you lot think? Um, what I want to actually start off with was, because I saw that Jota um, kind of offside and it's just crazy man I think um, VAR obviously there's a to be fair with anything that you introduce or any new changes there's always going to be pros and cons but definitely one of the biggest cons is like there's so many beautiful goals that have just been ruled off and due to some line that's been drawn by by someone in the computer system and I feel like it's very hard to make a very precise call because you need to calculate exactly the moment the ball's been released and you have to mm-hmm. get the line straight. And then, because if you, I don't know if you've clocked, when you see offside positions given, if you look at different angles, so I've seen offside, yeah, like VAR calls, where uh, when you take the angle from behind, behind the player, he looks mm. like he's, he's offside. But then when you look on the reverse side, so you're facing towards the player, he looks like he's onside. So depending on what camera is being used to draw the the line for the for the strike or for the for the offside decision, you can have slight kind of obscurities there, if that makes sense. There's mm. not a hundred percent clarity, especially the close calls. I'm talking like the ones like Jotters where like you don't like where are they exactly drawing this line from? Do you get I feel like that those sort of decisions for me kind of ruins the game. Um and it's not it's not something that I personally welcome. Like I said, I don't, I ain't got no issue personally with VAR. I think like there's a lot of positives to VAR, but it needs to be utilised a lot better because there's a lot of things, decisions being made where it's, not, it's going, you have to, it's going against football if you ask me because you're, you're just ruling this off, ruling that off. Like at what point, because if you rule off jotters, but then let's say next week someone else scores 
and then they're in a similar position, but the goal's given. It's like it's it's now a very big, it creates a very big mess. You get a very big grey area, uh, and it's just mm. open for discussion, and everyone just has an opinion, and people are just going back and forth. I just feel like in those sort of situations, you have to give the benefit of the doubt to the striker. And I feel like, if I'm not mistaken, there is a new um, offside rule being introduced um, where I believe that may be happening. Um, I think it was actually, um, the idea was um, given by Arsene Wenger. Yeah. Arsene Wenger, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then Mm. it gives the benefit of the doubt to the attacking player, which would hopefully help eliminate these sort of situations. I think to be more specific, I think the rule is if any part of your body is onside, then That'd you'll be, be classified mad, as onside. That would be crazy. That that would allow so, so many, many goals. goals to happen. I think it might actually swing the favor back, like into the attacker's favor and screw over a lot of defenses because they do rely on that offside call. But do do you think it's the application of the offside rule that is making like the whole experience less enjoyable, or do you think that the margins for what we call offside are incorrect. Because there's arguments to have offside as a part of the body that is on or offside. And other people think that it should just be foot um, foot placement and you should ignore where their body or their knees are leaning. Um, I think that, yeah, I, I wouldn't say go as far as any part of your body being on side because I think that yeah I just think, overpowered. <laughs> yeah that, that would be mad overpowered and like if you had guys like um Aubameyang or Mbappe like guys that are just really fast that would just be a mm. mad thing and it <laughs> they'll just be blitzing yeah no it'll be sort of fair all you have to yeah. do is like dangle a foot and then you can zoom down the line or something like that yeah exactly could you imagine trying to mark Traore <laughs> oh that's a long Pissed. day <laughs> that is a long day. <laughs> Piss, bro. So, yeah. Um, I just think something needs to be done about VAR in regards to the accuracy of it. Because I think if they used it properly, it wouldn't be so, like it wouldn't be so difficult. But I think we need to stop the thing where they're literally comparing the smallest of gaps. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't like that. I think, let's say if it's like a foot, Offside, then mm. I think that should be onside. Calm. Yeah, so I was watching the um the first the first 10 minutes of the West Brom and Southampton game, and West Brom got called offside. And it was like, bro, I would say it was literally half a toenail. So yeah, it was, it's it's calls that like that will just ruin the game for so yeah. many people. Like it was, it's, it's like how Ag said. It's like, what angle are you looking at it from? Exactly. Like, and like, when you looked at it from a different side, it actually looked like he was completely onside. But then when you looked at it from this side, you could see that there was a little, maybe a tiny hair offside. But then they was using like dotted lines and measurements, and that's when you know now. <laughs> Come on, fam. Yeah. yeah no, and Angie, yeah, um, one of the players that actually got called offside didn't even touch the ball. Oh, yeah, and and that was the crazy thing. Hmm. Now that's similar to um a goal that City scored the other day. 
I think Fernandinho scored a long shot and Aguero didn't, he didn't even touch the ball. I think he jumped out the way, but was called offside because he was apparently obstructing the keeper's view. Now, I, th- I think the keeper was never going to save it, but. Mm. Yeah, no, I know which, I know the one you're talking about. That that was, I swear, was that not against uh, Leeds? Was it? Oh, it might have been against Leeds in the first yeah, half. Yeah, I think it was Leeds first half. Um, no, but that one there, I can understand why it was given. Because even though there, it was unlikely for the keeper to save it, it was in the view of the keeper. That one's kind mm. of separate too. Oh, no, it was against Leicester. Yeah. I remember it was Wait. Michael and goal. Yeah. Was it against Leicester? Look, it was one of the recent games where it happened. I know which one you're talking about, but he was in Aguero was standing in the in line with the keeper, and that one would always be given as an offside, if that makes sense. I think that yeah, one. Because sometimes I've seen it given, and sometimes I've seen it not given. So, but no, those it... ones are hard to call, though. Do you get? Because it depends yeah. on because even the way you're standing, like where you're standing in front of the goal line or goalpost, mm. that. That could dictate if if they're going to give that offside or not. Um, but I think the girl was literally sitting right, flush in, in front of uh, the keeper. But like um, Dre was saying, in regards to the offside, like when you start going into the millimeter point, that's when I think it's just. Um, it, 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 I don't. For me personally, it just doesn't make sense in it. Just because it, what happens is you ruin the attacking flair. Because what makes football so enjoyable is. It, or what people enjoy the most is games where there's high score lines, attacking flair, teams going back to back. When you start eliminating or uh, kind of chalking off goals mm. that were literally count, we're talking millimeters. Like in in certain angles or viewpoints, it's not even offside. Like they they've given the wrong call. When you start chalking off these goals, you start to create an environment within the game that becomes more defensive, less goals, less enjoyable. The, the spectators. I'm sure Mourinho would love that. <laughs> so do you get like there's less people the, the interest of football would start to go down do you get uh, mm-hmm. people wouldn't want to watch it as much whereas I think with the introduction of this new offside kind of rule where I've just looked into it now it's, from what, what it seems like is if I if uh, one any part of the player's body is onside mm. uh, so any part that they can use within foot within the game or within football is onside then it would count as onside goal. It won't be offside. So it sounds it sounds interesting. I would like. I think they're trying it out in the lower divisions in China. So it would see it'd be interesting yeah, in what the results are. And then I think it, it potentially could work really well because in the situations like the Jota one that happened the other day, that would rule in Jota's favour. Do you get? And the goal would be given. And I don't think people would necessarily argue it because. One game it might be given against you, but in another game it might be in your favour. You get so we'll balance each other out. So I don't think there will be much uh, dispute from teams if you ask me, because it just it will just be more high scoring games, mm. and I think no no one will actually complain about that. Yeah, no, I hear that. But speaking of high scoring games, your team, Crystal Palace versus Chelsea, four one. <coughs> but I remember seeing the first half and. I think one goal really stood out to me. I think it was Pulisic. We absolutely lashed it into the net from the left-hand side. But what do you what did you think of your performance? Was it was it Chelsea being good or being in good form or was it simply Crystal Palace crumbling to a never big side as what they have done all season? I think I didn't to be honest, I didn't watch the much of the game, but is that a football fan? 
<laughs> Fake Chelsea fan. No, so you know, you know. To be honest, yeah, you want to like you know, I watched, I watched ninety plus five in it. I watched the whole thing. I even watched mm. the aftermath of the game. I watched the interviews as well. Jeez. Um, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, I'm joking. But yeah, nah. This weekend I was actually quite busy, so I tried to stay stay up to date with as much football, but. No, sometimes you can't do life that. You can't, you can't do that. You can't do that every week, innit, man? But yeah, no, that's true. It, as as a general rule, in regards to Pulisic, I'm not surprised because for me personally, last year it was our player of the season. Um, mm. I know. I think did Kovacic get? If I'm not mistaken, or a lot of people were giving kind of preps to Kovacic, which he did have a good uh, season. But for me, it was Percy Pulisic because for him to come from Dortmund. Um, at such a young age, I think it was what twenty at the time, mm. into a new league, and the progression he scored, uh, showed, and I think he had like, was it seventeen, seventeen? I think I saw it was it seventeen goal contributions, goal contributions or something like that. So I actually have a look, but yeah, Pul- Pulisic was the difference maker. For so like, split, even if you remember the, the the FA Cup final when we played Arsenal. Pulisic scored the goal, if I'm not mistaken, and then he got um, injured just before the half. And I swear down, when I was watching it with the with the family, I said, you know what, that's the game done. Because he was mm-hmm. our best, he was the brightest spark in that game. He was our best player in that game. And like I said, for me, the, our best player throughout the season. And then for him to just get injured, I just knew it, it, it was, was going to be very difficult from that moment onwards. And then we ended up losing that game. But So I know the potential. So... When you take into account this at the time he was only like twenty, whatnot. So he still has all he's he hasn't even he's nowhere near close to his peak. So if he could perform like this in arguably the the most difficult league in the in the world, mm. the, the the potential he has to, to kind of keep on getting better, better and growing is, is there's no cap to it, do you get? Um and yeah. that's why I feel um even now there's transfer rumors that are talking about teams like Liverpool and stuff that still want him. So if Chelsea are looking to get rid of him, there's big clubs that are still interested in him and there's a reason behind that. Mm. No, I hear that. I hear that. Yeah. But in, in regards to that, the this match specifically, what is it do you think that Tuchel is getting right with your squad? Because I heard ideas that um, he's just going back to a three-back and kind of with the personnel that you lot have, it just suits your playing style more compared to what Frank Lampard was doing. Um, and do you think he's getting the best out of players like Timo Werner and Kai Havertz? I know Kai Havertz had a good game, but just since he's been in charge, do you think he's getting the best out of you lot? I think you had one other question. I'll just quickly answer that as well, because you said, oh yeah, go for it. Do, do you believe it was down to Chelsea playing really well or whether Crystal Palace was kind of playing bad? Oh, but Yeah, Crystal Palace, yeah. Hey, I think with Crystal Palace, they they are a very inconsistent team. So um, on their day, they can they can play well, but generally speaking, especially this season, they are they have been quite under underperforming. But in certain big games, they do turn up. Um, so that's why it is. But I'd say for this season, they they've been genuinely underperforming throughout the year. But on the previous seasons, um, it can be quite hard to call. Cool. What Crystal Palace will turn up because I remember them. They've they've had games against Spurs, where I think was it was it last year, um, where literally they Tottenham won it at the death with a Kane header. Um, 
they've had games against United. I think it was in Matic where he literally scored last minute to win the game. Like up until the oh, 85th wow. minute, they've, yeah. they've literally gone ahead or drawing big, big games. I think they even beat City, if I'm not mistaken, last year. So they, oh, they wow. do have the potential of kind of turning up Crystal Palace. Uh, but this season, generally, they have been underperforming. So I feel like that obviously would play a part. And then when you take into account that to her since he's taken over, Chelsea have only lost one game, if I'm not mistaken. And that was the West Brom game. So mm. over oh, yeah, a lot. period of like 15 games or something, for him to only lose one, it goes to show the improvement he's he's implemented into a team, even though he's picked up the same players. He hasn't signed anyone new. He's tried to make use of the players he's had. And kind of mm. going back to your second question about has he improved the players performance, I would definitely say 100% yes, because we're talking a lot of players that were out of the picture now back into the squad and performing well, so players like Rudiger wasn't even going to get in the game, game on the Lampard he's playing centre-back um, pretty much every game now and uh, oh. Chelsea Chelsea, have a, I think 15 clean sheets in overall in the Premier League now, so they're second only City um, if you look at their last three Champions League games all clean sheets and two of them were against Atletico Madrid. We have to take that into account, who were potentially dark horses of the Champions League. So to, to go two games without conceding against Atletico, it, it definitely shows you something. So those players like Rudiger, Alonso came back into the to the picture. Um, yeah, because he was kind of frozen out from your yeah. squad for, for some time, wasn't he? Because Lampard plays four at the back. Alonso is of very uh, little use. So mm. like you said, because he's gone to kind of Three centers, so five at the back, so three center backs with two wing backs. Um, it, it allows Alonso, that's Alonso's kind of favorable position. It's, it um, allows him the freedom to push forward and to get into attacking the attacking half. And, and really, exactly. and he's, we're, not, we're not as much of a defensive liability because you've got that third left center back that can cover the void that Alonso creates. So, mm. um, having, having those, having these players come back into their setup. So Azbukwaya, he wasn't really playing. It was always Reese James playing at right back. Um, mm. So there's a lot of plays that he's just brought back that weren't in Lampard's plan. And he's 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 made better use of the plays. He's he's made better use of the squad in general, and I think that's favoured to hell. Whereas Lampard, I think I don't know if you want to call it his favourites, but he had a group of plays that he just um, believed in, and he just kept on going with them. Whether that was through the good performances or bad performances, where to hell. He's he's going. He's taking a similar approach to Guardiola, where there's a lot of rotation. So there's a lot mm. of rotation, but he's he's better utilizing the squad. Hence, why we're getting better performances. And by doing this, especially when you have tight schedules, your players they can keep up their fitness. Whereas if you keep on cycling the same 14, 15 players, they're going to gas out um, a lot sooner. No, it's true. It's true. But um. <sighs> I'm still not fully sold on Chelsea. There's something about them that I feel like we're at one point in the season, they're just going to drop in their output level and possibly even finish outside the top four. I think Leicester probably has the, a bigger chance of dropping out because that's just what Brendan Rodgers does. But what about I don't know. Liverpool, would, they, would they drop out the top four? Oh, oh yeah, wait, I, I would be surprised. <laughs> oh, whatever. 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 Pissed. I imagine Honestly. it with such confidence, you know. 
Honestly, you know what? If if we actually finish in the top four above you lot this season, you are hey, holding so no, much corn, bro. That is, it's not even holding smoke, bro. Let's be, let's keep it real. You man are reigning champion to then potentially be fighting for top four. That's terrible. Yeah, yeah, it is. There's I no, think... there's no, there's two. I know we said we're gonna have that Liverpool discussion. You kind of semi started the conversation now, so we could start it now. But Liverpool, the the season they're having now, when you take factor in that they've they were champions the year before. The year before that, I think they had 97 points. Was it 97? Mm. Correct me if I'm wrong. So you've had two, two very two very successful seasons to then come and you're you're battling for like a top six spot to get. And then if you look at your points, you could very easily drop even lower to get. We could drop lower. We could, we could finish higher. I think the gap between Leicester, Liverpool and even below us to Everton or even Spurs is about six points, six yeah, points it's, difference. It's, it's about three to six points. Uh, but I don't think it's six. You, I'll check. Uh, yeah, something like I think Leicester between has, between Leicester and Liverpool is four um, points. Four points, and then from Liverpool to nice, yeah, the, yeah, Tottenham and Liverpool three points. Then Everton yeah. are only five points, but Everton have two games on hand on you. Exactly. Yeah, they're playing so, tonight. I think. So it would be like I said. It, Obviously, it's interesting, but to, for Liverpool to be in this position this late on during the season, we're talking about mid-April now. For Liverpool to, yeah. to be uncertain where they're going to finish, that's that's not good enough to get it. Um, it's, it's not good enough from champions. I think I, I always have two sides of this, and it depends on who I'm talking to. It depends on which side <laughs> that I take. There's the side where it's like, I expect more from Liverpool. I expected that even with our injuries we still had enough firepower to beat most of the teams we came up against. There's no need to drop points against teams like Brighton or, or Burnley or Aston Villa. There's, there's a lot of games that happened where we just underperformed and we had the personnel to win it and we just dropped our heads. It's not like last season where we'll go down, but everyone knew that we'd score the equaliser and then score the winner later on. Now it's like... If we don't score within the first 30 minutes, there's a huge possibility okay. that let me let me ask you a question then, Dad. If regardless of injuries and poor form, is there any justification for Liverpool losing seven games in a row at home? Or not not losing, but not winning seven games. Um, uh, um is it let me let me just double check, is it? Uh, it's uh, six home games. Home record. We yeah, we failed to register a win in six home games in a row, or we, or we lost six home games in a row. Something silly like yeah, that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. There's, six, there's no exactly, justi- yeah. So there's no justification for it. Home games in a row, and a lot of them were against. Some of them were against teams in the bottom half of the table, whether that's Fulham, Burnley, and stuff like that. So no matter. Who, what your injury uh, kind of crisis or your situation is, that is the worst in Liverpool's entire history. So we're talking about teams that have that haven't. So we're talking about teams that haven't won no trophies and they they've never had this bad of a run of form at home. Do you get? Mm-hmm. So you you're meant to be. If we, if we correct me if I'm wrong, um, when we when we were talking about Liverpool, we were having the uh, people were having debates about potentially the best team in Premier League era or definitely up there with one of the best teams in the Premier League era and then for mm. them to come um, within the this is about their third season now um, 
because obviously they were successful last two, so this is coming into the third kind of uh, successful opening, and then for them to have such a to set such a record is I just I, you, you there's no justification yet for me personally, uh, whether that's me as a football neutral fan, or if I was to put my Liverpool hat on, I wouldn't I wouldn't be happy with that. I don't think there's a single Liverpool fan out there that's happy with where we are. I think there I think many Liverpool fans expected there to be some level of drop off. Let's say let's take it step by step. We knew that we wouldn't reach 98 points the following season after getting 97, then 98. There was going to be a natural drop off, especially with everything COVID related or preseason related. We thought that ev- not just Liverpool, but everyone was going to have a natural drop off. We have to take that. Uh, then at the beginning of the season, we had a a, con- a decent-ish start, and then we started to pick up many different results, and was at the top of the table around about Christmas time, and we thought, okay, even with our injuries, we're still able, we still have the ability to uphold a certain level of quality within our play, and I think that is proof as to why, or I guess that makes the following few months even worse for us because the same crop of players that were playing, they just stopped performing. Uh, we weren't putting away our chances because we were creating chances in each of the games that we either draw or lost. And I think we were speaking about this um, earlier during the week or what with me with one of my mates. One of the issues that Liverpool was having is that our attack has gone slightly stale. Mane I think last season he hit like 22 goals in the league or something, something like that. And this season, I, I, I don't even know if he's registered like five or six goals in the league. His, his goal tally has gone down. Firmino, one, I guess, legitimate criticism of his play is that he's just not clinical enough. And we're seeing it hurt us. There's so many times where he was just missing big opportunities and it cost us in games. Even Origi, I remember, I think it was Origi, um, Liverpool against Burnley. Nil-nil, he has a one-on-one. And then, just like how Lacazette did it, hits the crossbar. And it's really starting to show that when we're not doing it up front, the whole team suffers and we just start losing points. Because we're not conceding a ton of goals, you know? You look at each of the games that we're dropping points... It's one goal here or two goals there. We're not leaking as much as what people think we are, if that makes sense. So I don't really have a justification for Liverpool. I just hope well, that... Listen. Yeah. Because you know what's interesting? If we was to go through the run of teams that you played as well, mm. like I said, look, Fulham, they're bottom half, they're fighting for relegation. You guys lost against them. Mm. You guys lost they against Chelsea. No, but they're still fighting for relegation. It's a team you should be beating at home. It's Chelsea, true. like I said, you can understand. It's, it's yeah, a good top, team. It's, it's top four team. It's a team in form. You lost against Everton. I think Everton haven't beat you at Anfield for how, how many decades is it? Correct Since me 1999. Okay, so that's what I'm saying. We're talking about over two decades. They come and beat you but, at home. To be fair, that, that is a dark What is happening And it was only right a matter now? of time. No, no, but I'm, what just, is I'm just stating facts now. I'm just stating facts now, bro. <laughs> I'm trying to so, stick it on you, you know? I'm not trying to stick it on you, bro. You come, you come against City, your arch rival, like I said, arch rival for the last few years, and you lose 4-1. Do you get That's That's They're another one. They, they are a good team, and they are the best uh, right two, now. They're the most huge, team. 
Yeah. I get that, bro. But what I'm trying to say is that's your arch rival. That's the team that you've been com- competing with for the title for the last two years. You shouldn't be allowing them to humiliate you like that for one. Then you got bright. Some, sometimes nah, happens. come on, man. Nah. Sometimes got, things happen. They're, they're the best <laughs> team. Look, hear me out, bro. You, you lost against Brighton. Again, another team fighting for relegation. So that's this is what I'm trying yeah. to say. The teams you're playing against, they weren't, and apart from, like I said, remove City and um, Chelsea, Chelsea, they're not top tier teams. A lot of them were um, teams that were fighting for relegation. And then you lost against Burnley, again, team for fighting for relegation, just above relegation. Um, and then you drew at United. Yeah, and that's where it kind of stopped. It started from Burnley. So a lot of them are bottom tier teams and you lost against them at home. And then you set two records. You lost against Everton, uh, for a team that you've never lost, like you said, in over two decades. You set a whole history where um, Liverpool have never lost six games on the trot at Anfield. I think the last one was it four or five games, and then you guys beat that. So that is there's no justification for that because there's teams uh, that were I don't know if you remember when Klopp first took over, or when kind of Roy Hodgson had it, or when Brendan Rodgers had it. They, those teams were some of them were terrible. We had players like Ricky Lambert and Balotelli up top. Oh, don't remind yeah. me. Exactly. So you know, we know what I'm talking about, bro. So you had teams like that, and they didn't set these records to get. So when you have team of Salah, Mane, Firmino, Jota, um, Henderson, Ronaldo, um, Jota Trent, was Robertson, in a lot of those games. Yeah, who are Trent, Robertson, Allison? You have players like this that who are playing. Those performances are not. They are not okay. They are. They shouldn't be happening. No matter how much out of form you are in bad form. There's just a certain level you shouldn't be scooping down to, do you get? Well, this, it's, this it's is fine the thing. to lose um, games. It's football, do you get? It's football. You're not always, you're going to have, it's it's like, you're going to have blips, do you get? That's normal, whether that's for a few games or a season or whatnot. But I just feel like when you're top four, top four, six, there should be a certain level that you should set that you shouldn't, you, you should try to not fall below. And Liverpool have fallen below that, that line multiple times this season. Well, it, it looks that way. Um, and it's not I'm not going to try to justify it. Is, bro. I haven't it tried is, to. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, this is the thing. I haven't tried to justify any of that. But, boy, it, I mean, we can still turn it around. Um, a lot of people you know try what? to say that Liverpool might be the worst champions of all time. But I remember seeing United win the league and then finishing eighth. Mm-hmm. And no one will talk about that. Or even oh, Chelsea. Yeah. I'm sure you lot dropped yeah, yeah, at one it stage. Happened. So like oh, it, yeah. it happens, and Liverpool still has the opportunity to finish in the top four look, at the end and of to the kind day, of save our blushes. No, but this is a podcast where we talk on weekly, weekly games, and we talk on the current season. Do you get? <laughs> of course, we can we can go back and we can find a, a previous season where the similar scenario happened and ju- try to justify the downfalls of this season. You could do that for anything, but if we're talking on this season and this week's games, it's it's just not acceptable. Yeah, and then. Going back to your point about injuries, I think I actually discussed it with you on WhatsApp because you said the the Van Dyke injury and Liverpool have had a lot of injuries in general, which is correct. Uh, uh, yeah, don't get um, me wrong. This, we had a disruption to the rhythm of our squad. Yeah, no, that's hundred. Like um, without uh, without a doubt, all of that is true. Yeah, but when your team that have just won the Premier League, one of the main things you should have is squad depth, and you should have players that could be rotated into a squad similar to how City do it and how Chelsea are doing right now and the performance levels do not drop because if you remember last year I'm going to ask both of you guys a question who who is arguably City's best player in general 
Um, you would you say? Uh, yes. Ruben in general, Diaz this season. In well, general, not, it will be KDB. Oh, in general, I'm saying in general. Who's the who's, oh, who's the, the best player in general? The KDB. Last last year, wasn't the Bruyne miss, missing or injured for majority of the season? Yeah, but they have really good. And cover. then what result and what what outcome did they have? They still end up ended up um, coming second, just to, just below you guys. You get. Uh, no, when not you say, last yeah, year. When I mean, you say sorry, just not below. last year. Apologies, not not last year. Sorry, let me correct myself. Two years ago, you know, when they won with ninety-eight points, that was that's yeah. the season I'm talking. Not last year. Two years ago, when they won with ninety-eight points, the Brainer was missing for majority of the season due to injury. They still ended up winning the title. And mm-hmm. you, both of you have said that he's arguably their best player in general. So from here, Van Dijk, you could argue is probably Liverpool's best player, or one of their best players, at least maybe top three. Yes, he's missed the whole season, majority of the season, but that shouldn't justify this sort of outcome. Do you get? I don't think any Liverpool fan will justify if Van Dijk gets injured and and our form dropping. The issue has never been just Van Dijk being out. The issue is we had so many injuries in one position. So I I think I'll turn Dravis in a previous few podcasts. If Liverpool lost Van Dijk then they lost Fabinho, then they lost Mane. A team like Liverpool should still be able to cover for those losses. But that's totally different if... Imagine Liverpool lost Salah, Mane and Firmino. They're like all positions in one area of the pitch. Or like what actually happened. We okay, lost how many Matip, Van Dijk and Joe Gomez. That's all in the same one position. Slightly different. Okay, but Cool. So, in centre back, who who left during the summer for Liverpool centre back? Uh, Lovren. Okay. Was he replaced? Uh, kind of. Who? Uh, what Klopp did was he bought an extra centre mid. Okay. Uh, so that. Uh, Who's no, the extra centre mid? Who was there? He bought. Mid? He bought in Thiago. Uh, with the. Yeah, but Thiago's not. A... Wait, let me finish. Let me finish. <laughs> okay, go on. You brought in Thiago with the knowledge that Fabinho can cover as a centre back, so as a fourth choice. Okay, so now, let me in... ask you a question now. In, high, in, in response to your answer there, for a team that's competing in four, uh, four plus kind of competition, is having a fourth choice, having a fourth choice centre back as this, who's ideally a centre mid CDM, is that okay, or is that is that in any way justifiable? Do you get it? That's not. Uh, if, you're asking if, it's just, if you're asking if it's justifiable, what I will say is we're right now talking about this situation with the benefit of hindsight because we've had all the injuries. But what you also have to remember is that before this big injury, Van Dijk has played every single minute of the Premier League for like two and a half seasons straight. And apart from when Joe Gomez got a leg break, he is not injury prone. And beforehand, Matip wasn't as injury prone. All right. But so the reason, the big, what's it, what's it? What's it? Let me finish, let me finish. And the reason why Lovren left is because our defenders were not injury prone and he simply wasn't getting enough game time. So one of the issues that Liverpool had was recruiting any centre-back was going to be tough because they knew that they would hardly get a game. So when Klopp first decided to use Fabinho as a fourth choice centre-back, the view was, is that our defenders hardly get injured anyway. And the likelihood of him having to play centre-back would have been extremely low. And we also had youth centre-backs to play. And of course, as time goes on, I feel like 
when Van Dijk, Gomez and Matip all got injured, it was Klopp's responsibility to act sooner. I think we should have had a, one or two new defenders from the 1st of January um, when we knew the issues that we had. Uh, that's on Klopp's that's on Klopp or on on the owners of the club for not reacting quicker because we waited until deadline day to buy Kabak and uh, Ben Davies. So again, I'm not justifying it, but bro, but if I'm being honest, the reason why I, I totally disagree with what you just said because even when we spoke on this subject, if if you recall on WhatsApp, you even said that when we sold Lovering, we should have been replaced. You even agreed on that comment. I, not, with not the benefit with, of hindsight. With, no, but exactly. Whether whether it's hindsight or not, you agreed on that comment. You didn't. You didn't um, personally think that having um, Fabinho, who's when we've watched Liverpool, all his best performances have all come from CDM centre mid. It's like not to say he's played bad at centre back, but his best performances, the best games, have always been in the middle of the park. So we could all agree on that. When you're a team that's playing on so many competitions, if you look at all the teams that are playing in multiple competitions. They all have a minimum of four centre backs, minimum, if not five. That and they're centre backs that could all play. They're playing centre backs. They're not just youth team players or something like that. A lot of them are minimum of four, sometimes even five centre backs. If you look at Liverpool, who have they? Got? I mean, City. You got Diaz. You got Laporte. You got Ake. Um, who else have they got? If you guys fill me in, one, two, uh... three. They've got, got Ake, Stones. Um... Stones, four. Stones is four. And you've got Fernandinho. So if we do the Fabinho example, Fernandinho, that's five. That's five um, potential centre-backs that they have. Yeah, but you, if you're going to compare City to anyone, you're comparing a team that can throw millions and millions. But you're, So you're telling me, you're telling me <laughs> Liverpool can't afford a full-choice centre-back? Arsenal Not have like... quality. Arsenal have like five centre-backs. I can't even let <laughs> Yeah, but how, how many of them are good? Every how many of them are good, though? It's not about being good, though, bro. Yeah, but it's, it's they, like, no, they but are about being good. If Liverpool had no, the, the the point is, the reason Liverpool had so many struggles throughout the season is because they had no one to play there. So you had to resort Wait, to playing no. Henderson and Fabinho centre back. Did you not have? Did you do that or not? How could you be playing Henderson yeah, as centre back? You're because you had no centre backs to play. You're ignoring a lot of context. The reason okay. why a lot of these teams have a lot of centre backs. It's because the centre-backs that they have have histories of being either out of form or injury-prone. The okay, one so thing about go... Liverpool... Yeah, go, go for it. Because okay, no, uh, the when they had Vincent why, company... The reason uh, why I was, don't agree with your comment prone. again, bro, because you said Matip is not injury-prone. If we look at the stats, since 2020, he had the injury June 2020, missed eight games. He had the injury September 13, missed five games. Had the injury October 18, missed five games. Are you talking about this season? It's all in 2020. This is last end of last season to this year. December 14, missed one game. Yeah, December so 28, this this missed season. four games. This is end of last season as well. So even if we look at 19, 2018, let, let's go back to 2018 if you if you don't believe me. March 31, 2018, he missed 92 days. That's 12 games. December 12, 2018. So, so in, in 2018 alone, he's missed um, just under 20 games. So yeah. you're talking, you're saying this player injury prone. If you know Matic from when he was back at Schalke, back at, uh, in Germany, this guy has always had a record of uh, injury. He always missed about a third to half of the season. So Matic has never been known. 
even at Liverpool, he's never been known to be a player to be play regular games. He's always had injury issues. So, no, but you lot, had, again, you had of, two, a lot of those two stats. fully fit, two fully fit centre backs. One uh, Van Dijk, who prior, <laughs> this is the fact, bro. Prior to City, I mean, prior to Liverpool, if you if you open up Van Dijk's stats in Southampton, he was an injury prone player. He he wouldn't play every game. He would probably miss about a third of the season with Southampton. He came to Liverpool. And don't get me wrong, he wasn't injury prone at Liverpool. I don't know what what they were pumping in Van Dijk, but he weren't getting injured at Liverpool up until the injury at the start of the season. So fine, that's cool. You had one centre back there. Gomez had a serious injury, like which you mentioned as well before this other injury, correct? Where he missed mm-hmm. parts of the season as well. And then you have Matip, who's an injury prone player, and then you haven't got a fourth choice centre back because you've sold Lovren. So this is all issues that you were aware of at the start of the season. You decided not to deal with it or tackle it. Let's put that right. to one side. Wait, wait, wait. Gonna, before I'm you say that, because you, you said, go on, say your last thing. So you, before we put that, let's let's put that to one side and let's say give the benefit of the doubt, okay, they, they weren't expecting that many injuries this season. You come January and then you, you know the issues you've had. You, you've had appalling results, appalling performances. You clearly see that you've had over 20-plus centre-back partnerships. You clearly know what the issue is. And then you wait until deadline day to sign someone from the championship. Was it Ben? Is it Ben Davis or something? I forgot his name. From the championship, who hasn't even played a game. And then you sign Ozan Kabak, who hadn't won a league game in like 15 games for Schalke or something. So you, you've done two panic buys there. And then you, you got them into... Uh, you got Ozan back in, obviously you inter- implemented him into the first level and then because you never had a, a second centre-back you had to kind of Klopp was his hands were tied and he had to start playing Matt Phillips because obviously he didn't want to play him because at the start of the season when he tried him out he obviously didn't, there was something he didn't like about him that's why he took him out of the squad again and then now he's forced to put him back in again so these issues were all on the surface everyone could see even people that don't watch football don't watch Liverpool would be able to Easy, I identify these problems and they weren't tackled. So from that time, that's no one else's fault but Liverpool. Liverpool Football Club or Liverpool's board. So if these issues, if these results are coming, you can't then say, oh, it's all down to injuries because you had time. You could foresee all of this. You could have dealt with it. You decided not to deal with it. So that's your problem. So that's why when but wait, wait, Liverpool but fan tells but wait, wait. me it's injuries, I don't... But I, Ags, I, I who's, rub that off. Who's, who's saying that it's... Who's making excuses? I'm not, I said it was down saying to you, I'm not saying specifically you. I'm talking Liverpool fan base in general. So the general... No, most most of the fan base are angry at the board for not acting sooner. Not, not, at the, not, not at the beginning. At the start of the season, when Van Dijk got injured, everyone... At the, not, let me not at say the start everyone, of the season, we were not say everyone, but the majority of the league people, at Christmas time. So No, but when Liverpool's bad... No, when Liverpool's bad run of games started, that started in January. It was linked. It was linked to Van Dyke's Van Dyke being missing. You know when um, you yeah. started to get the back-to-back bad results. It was initially linked to Van Dyke, and then when the poor results continued, that's when you started to ch- change the the narrative. And you said, "Oh, it's the board, or it's this, or whatever." Around January time, January February time. It was also a stale attack. Um, I don't know if you realize, but around about the time where we started losing games, uh, Naby Keita, who was actually one of our main starters. Uh, got injured, and Jota he got a a knee injury um in a, one of our Champions League games. He was very key in the way we played, which as well was able to pick up so many points. Uh, when Naby Keita and Jota got injured, again affected the team, which is why our form started going downhill from January 
and into February. But I hear a lot of what you're saying. There's a few aspects where a bit of context and a bit of the statistics is a bit bent or skewed. A lot of the time, what Jurgen Klopp did when a player got injured, so like if Matip, Matip would have been playing like, let's say, I don't know the statistics right now, he might have been playing like 15 games in a row. Once he got injured and then Gomez would come in, Klopp wouldn't then take Gomez out when Matip was fit again. He'll just leave Gomez in, which makes it seem like Matip would have missed 20 games in a row where he might have only been unfit for like no, five. No, bro, but what you're missing is when I said games missed, this is games missed due to, to, to injury. So this is what I'm trying to say. These stats are not games missed due to being on the bench. These are games missed due to injury. So him not even being in the squad, these numbers that I read out to you are not him, him included him not being in the first 11. All these numbers that included that I mentioned in 2020 and 2018 are all games that he missed due to injury. So he wasn't even available to be picked. So there's no way in hell you can sit there and tell me Matip is not injury prone. That is unacceptable. It's not. The, ignore my opinion. Ignore your opinion. Look at the numbers. Numbers. People lie. Numbers don't. From his record all the way from 2015 when he was playing at Schalke, he's always been an injury prone player. Go back to. We're going back to 2014. He was playing at Schalke. September 10, he missed three games. October 20, he missed five games. November 26, he missed six games. So in a run of how many months is that? September to November. So that's about two, three months. He's missed six, five, 11, three. So he's missed 14 games in a period of three months. And that was in 2015 at Schalke. So you can't sit here and tell me this playing injury prone. Come on, bro. Well, Gomez and Van Dijk wasn't injury prone that much. So... But yeah. yeah, like I said, I was just saying, bro, like I said, uh, Matic has a history of injuries. And even if you go to Joe Gomez, even if it's not necessarily as bad as Matic's, he has the, a similar record of injury. Because like I said, you look at 2015 when he kind of first got into... Yeah, two more, ACL injuries. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He missed where he missed 52 games. Let's say ignore that because he was young, he wasn't really playing. But if you look at the 17-18 season where he was starting to get into Liverpool squad, in March, he missed five games. May, he missed two. And in December, he had the ankle surgery. He missed 23. So in that season alone, in between the 17-18 to 18-19, so that window there, he's missed over 30, nearly 30 games. And that was uh, just the year before. So that's what I'm trying to say, bro. So you can't sit here and say that even though Gomez's injuries are not, he don't, he don't really get small injuries. He get, when he gets an injury, he, he, he tends to have a long layoff, if that makes sense. He's yeah, they usually, long they usually impact in, impact injuries. That's what that's oh, what I'm that's trying what to say. He's, yeah. he, he's had three long layoff injuries uh, since he's kind of started his football career, and he's still very young. So you, with this in mind, when you're start, when you were planning for the season ahead, you should definitely like uh, whether that's the Liverpool has injury problems. Every club in the, especially during these COVID times where you have tight schedules, everyone's having injured players, whether that's their key players or their, their kind of bench players. Everyone's getting injuries. Obviously, Liverpool have had arguably more than maybe some of the other clubs, but it's not it's not an excuse. And then when you take into account the main problem for Liverpool, which was centre-backs, and you look at the, the, the kind of era, the record, that should have been dealt with at the start of the season. Well, it is what it is. That's, no, it's not. It is what it is. is. That's the facts, bro. Do you guys say that's the facts? Uh, so the facts. So the facts <laughs> is what it is. Like, I'm not. I'm not it's just, it's, it's Liverpool's that, issue. Yeah, I'm not. I, I, like, think, just, I think. I think a Liverpool fan has hurt you. You know. 
It's not, not that, bro. You can no go online wrong. and you can Ags, go online no and you can take this information, <laughs> see the information for yourself. It's not even about being hurt by a Liverpool fan. It's more I want to tackle tackle the, the the real issue for me. In it, it's not about I don't support Liverpool. Or I have a gender against Liverpool. This is just for me. These are the facts. These are here for everyone to view. We're just being honest here. Do you get it's the, the Liverpool have underperformed this of, one and they have been underwhelming. That's it. A lot of a lot of Liverpool fans agree with you. That is the funniest thing. A lot of Liverpool fans do now say that we should have had an extra centre back. A lot of Liverpool fans mm. do say that our attack is yeah, still this season. But they because might you're, say you're, it now, bro. You're fo- but you're they focus- weren't saying that at the beginning. No, but your focus is all on the centre-backs and the <laughs> recruitment. The thing is, at the end of the day, we haven't been conceding many goals. It's both the defensive aspect and the attacking aspect. Because, And whilst it'll be silly for me to go you into talking about Liverpool's attack, you haven't mentioned Mane's poor form or Firmino's poor form which has also constituted to Liverpool's drop in quality. But that will be for another day to go into what Liverpool is struggling with. Uh, there was a few more results that happened over the weekend. Uh, wow, speaking of which, I think West Brom just beat Southampton 3-0. Yeah. But, so that was a, that was a, a great result. Let's yeah, speak no, about the only, Arsenal game real quick. The last thing I want to say on that, bro, before we move on, the reason why I emphasised on the defensive issues is because there's no just, like, there's there's no, it doesn't, for me, I can't comprehend having over 18 different centre-back partnerships before the season has even ended. So, of course, the deeper root issue stems from there. And then, of course, there's other areas of the pitch where players like Mane and Firmino might be underperforming, definitely. And that's, of course, played a part. But the deeper route is here because there's no other club that have had 18 different centre-back partnerships throughout the season. No one else. Well, and yeah, I just want a, to end it there. Yeah, that's an issue that Liverpool's going to have to deal with for the rest of the season. But on to the Arsenal game. 3-0. It seems like you lot have yeah. turned a corner. Nah, <laughs> nah, 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 nah. I think... <laughs> Sheffield are shit, bro. Yeah, Arsenal... Um, <laughs> Arsenal had a result against a team that got relegated Sheffield pretty much gave up <laughs> anyway before the game bruv that weren't uh, the thing is yeah Arsenal still need to hold corn for what they did in the Europa League you know what I mean but you know like like with Arsenal it's just the same thing if Arteta wins the Europa League then I believe he deserves at least a summer to see what he can do but if not if he loses and then he'll probably get sacked but um, I've already said a lot of my views on 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 Arsenal this year and I've heard from a strong source that Ags has a lot of strong views on Arsenal so I think we should hear what he <laughs> say about, <laughs> about yeah, Arsenal you know what about is, the, the drop of Liverpool what about Arsenal what about Lacazette and Aubameyang not showing up for you man you know what, what the thing about is bro, I, don't even, <laughs> I don't even want to hug the the, the, the kind of Arsenal was a champions, though. Arsenal was a champions. I think... The the thing with Arsenal, though, um, obviously, the reason why I wouldn't take the the 3-0... I watched that game as well, um, and Arsenal did play well. Um, They did play the the kind of what we're used to, the nice, attractive football, especially Lacazette's, was it his first goal? Yeah, that was a banger. The setup between that was really nice, man. Really nice. Um, And like I said... You know what the funny thing is? I actually quite enjoy watching Arsenal in general. 
Like not every game of Arsenal, <laughs> but there's this. Um, if there was kind of, if I had to pick a top five team in the Premier that I enjoy watching, Arsenal will definitely be there. That makes sense. City will be there. So there's a few teams that will be there. Obviously Chelsea, but Arsenal is one of those teams that I do enjoy watching. But I wouldn't use the the three nil as an indication of like a, a change for Arsenal. If that makes sense for the positive, because we need to take into account Sheffield the bottom. They've pretty much been relegated. They haven't got they haven't got a, a, like a proper manager right now. Um, so nothing's kind of working for their favour. I swear they um, was it two three games ago they lost kind of five nil to Leicester. So they're not on the best of form. They they haven't really run in a long time. So that result is expected. You're playing at home. You should be winning that game comfortably. It's more the bigger games where I feel like it's a true test for Arsenal. Usually they kind of fall short. So whether that was a Europa League game where you guys kind of, was it Slavia Prague you played? Yeah. Without mm-hmm. finish 1-1. Um, Check out that podcast, the by the way, if you're listening. Exactly. Yes, sir. You've got, you got to plug yourself within your own podcast. You get me? 100%. <laughs> <laughs> uh. um, but yeah, no, the games before that, um, Arsenal played Benfica prior to that, correct? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and then I watched the I watched those games as well. And the second game where Arsenal, I think, was it with 30 minutes to go, they needed two goals to go through. And then they did somehow manage to do it. Yeah. And they went through. But they even back. those games with the Benfica, they struggled a lot. And then don't get me wrong, I'm not saying these are like poor positions or they're they're weak teams, but for for Arsenal stand, Arsenal should be beating teams in most of the Europa League teams quite comfortably. Mm. But they mm. a lot of the games that they have been playing, they've been struggling. They might have kind of gone through the finishing line, but they've struggled to get there. Um and I feel like even in the Premier League, the games where there's they've had a true test, they tend to struggle. Um and you like you mentioned as well, Daz, like Saka, who I think has been their player of the season so far. Um that in itself is a bit of a sign of where Arsenal's at. Because don't mm. get me wrong, like mm. I said, Saka's a brilliant player, but for him to be the standout player at the age of 19, where he's playing in multiple different positions, he's, he's missed a few games due to injury as well. It goes to show how underperforming the the kind of the rest of the team has been. So there is a lot of issues at Arsenal, but the main difference, like um, Dre said, was Arsenal kind of came into this season with less expectation due to their, their kind of how they played last year. Whereas Liverpool is different. Liverpool came from being champions, dominating the league to, to this, this sort of performance. You get that's why there's Liverpool would it's normal for Liverpool to receive more stick. Whereas we, with Arsenal, it's, it's become a bit, it's become a bit of a norm. Yeah, it's become a bit of a norm for them to be um Trash. kind of underperforming. Because they shouldn't, like I said, there's no just there's the, Liverpool, Arsenal with the history they have, they're the third, they're the third most successful club in in English era. They shouldn't be kind of where they're at. Where are they at now? Are they Arsenal on ninth? Uh, ninth, but and they could drop down. Leeds, Leeds. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Leeds have the same points. Aston Villa are game short with a point behind. So if they win, they're above you. So you'll drop to tenth. Um, yeah, so that's what I'm saying. That's not good enough, and we're the season's nearly over. So 
there's definitely big, big issues at um, Arsenal. And I think it's more linked to consistency because there's some games, like I said, I like watching Arsenal. There's some games I watch them and I'm like, okay, yeah, now they're starting to click. Whether that's Emily Smith-Rowe and Saka or Lacazette or they, they try to, it looks like, it looks uh, promising. And then there's usually the more difficult games or the bigger tests, you see a completely different Arsenal. You're like, yeah, okay. And that's their biggest problem is having that consistency. But I think a lot of it, if you ask me personally, is linked to due, uh, linked to the quality of the players. Yeah, I just feel like some of those players are not good enough for Arsenal. I think I think and the majority of your definitely. players aren't good enough for Arsenal. I think yeah, yeah, a lot of them. And you know what is? Player. I want to throw it in there. I've always said Bellerin is shit, and I've always had stick from Arsenal fans, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, he's always. terrible, man. Yeah, no. Um, because what what it, what Arsenal certain Arsenal fans do is they hold on to nostalgia, so they they know Bellerin from the youth ranks. He's come up um, and before he got from, his name from very young. Yeah, and um, he don't get me wrong. He has glimpses or moments where he's played well, especially um, there was there was was it the season under Emery? I think was it the yeah. first season where he was really well up until the injury, and then there was a bit a few moments under Wenger where he played well. But as a general consensus. There's not enough consistency, injury-prone, and he has no end product. He can't cross mm. or can't shoot, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, a play, the players like him, they've stayed in the squad for far too long, and that's Arsenal, for me, is is their bigger their biggest issue. They've kept them on, and they haven't recruited properly as well. Mm. And then when you give contracts, and then when you start giving out contracts where they're 200k, 350k, Players hold you to ransom because they know they're the best player at that club, and you know that you're when you when you start becoming over reliant on a player, they can start holding you for ransom, and then that's what's happened to Arsenal over the last five ten years. Whether that's the Sanchez situation, the Özil situation, the Bamiyang situation, because these were Arsenal heavily relied on these players. They were the best players. They were their star players, and they were less of a team, rather more individual performances that got them out of certain games. They could these players could start demanding these ridiculous figures, and you have to give it to them because if you don't, the fans will go crazy. If if you get rid of them or sell them, you might not be able to replace them. So that's another issue, and I think like that's the it's like a domino effect you get, and it affects you for the following upcoming seasons as well. Mm. Yeah. I think yeah, when it comes to Arsenal, um, I hope that Arteta has what it takes to turn you lot around. I do think he deserves a bit more time to clear out more of the dead wood out of your out of your team. Because like with Jurgen Klopp, it, it it took about three four years before he took out the majority of our our squad. I think with the players that he inherited compared to the players he has now, there's only about two or three players that survived. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So Arteta does need time. He does need you no. Know, funds and backing to allow him to bring in players that would f- fit his system the only question is if the performances are dropping low how low do you get before you pull the plug yeah and I, and I think that's probably the big question and, and that's why you can't really um, you can't really completely defend Arteta just because Arsenal have done so bad like if Arsenal were top eight still marginally in the race for top four, you could probably defend them a bit more. Now it's just more down to personal preference of what you think will, like, whether you think Arteta will do well or who like, who do you think would do well coming in, do you know what I mean? Because um, if you look at Chelsea, Lampard didn't have that much time. Exactly. Chelsea took him out, brought in Tuchel, and now look at them, they're 
they are informed. I think over the past nine or ten games, they've only lost once. Yeah, and I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think with Arsenal and Chelsea, that sort of that sort of depends what sort of club you want to. How to explain it? It's like what sort of like like what type of club you want to follow. It's like Chelsea are more cool. We're gonna sack, win, sack, win, sack, win. Um, and whereas with Arsenal, it's more of a stick with the manager, see where it goes, sort of thing. And obviously, Chelsea have been way more successful in recent times with that. So, yeah, um, I would like to see them give them more time, see what happens. I even think Lampard deserve more time. Do you know what I mean? I don't mm. think he should have got sacked this year. I think, do you know what I mean? He deserved a bit more time. I think getting that top four last year was a mad achievement that he should have got more time for. So, yeah, man. No, but, um, and, and and like I think the I think the biggest example of a guy that got time and eventually is doing well was is Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. So, you know, <laughs> you know, so he's doing better than most most other managers. Yeah, man. To be fair. All of them. So. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So, yeah, it's just one thing. But I think... I guess, speaking of Oli... Yeah. Sorry, go on. Did you have a last point? Yeah, yeah. No, like, I just think the main thing with Arsenal is funds and the board, really. Do you know what I mean? It's like, when you look at all of the top clubs that do well, the board back the manager properly, get them what they want, get them what they need, you know, uh, buy the right players and Arsenal don't, don't and haven't done that, so... Yeah, no, I hear that. Well, I guess the last game that we can have a quick look at was the the biggest game probably of the weekend, uh, Spurs versus Manchester United. Um, watching that, I guess the the main talking point of that game because three, I, I'll say that all of the goals scored in that game, high quality goals. I think the passing and the finish from Son was spot on. Cavani's goal was absolutely like sublime. His movement in the box, I, I was speaking to someone and they were like, the way Cavani moves is the way a true natural striker is meant to move. Maybe it's his time working on like alongside Zlatan and Neymar, but his movement is second to none. If he could fix his finishing and be a bit more clinical, I think he'll be even better than what he is. But no, Cavani was a good signing for United. And then the who else scored for United? Uh, yeah, real quick. Who who else scored for United? Um, I think it was... Oh, Greenwood. Fantastic cross to Cavani again. I think. Mm. With, with his header. The music's yeah. good. Where is it now? Um, yeah, it was Edison, Edison, Cavani, Fred and Greenwood. Yeah, right. That's where it is. Oh, yeah. Oh, Greenwood's goal where he took on I think it's Regulon. Dropped the shoulder, went onto his right foot and smacked past the keeper. Brilliant. But yeah, what was, what was you going to say, Ags? No, I'm just going to say I'm not surprised with Cavani because anyone who's kind of followed Cavani's career, he's been prophetic no matter what team he's played for. Even when we're yeah. going back to his Napoli yeah. days, he was bossing it. Him, um, they had Levetsi, they had Hamsik. Mm. Um, you were a very good side, yeah, proper old school, and he was the the forefront of that. He was getting hella goals. His goal ratio was very very good, uh, even though he was at Serie A, and they you could classify them as quite a defensive league 
Um, it can be uh, quite difficult for certain strikers to score goals, but he was doing it very easily, free flowing. Um, so that's what earned him the, the transfer to PSG. And even when he went there, he just continued that form. And when you take into account, it was probably arguably a slightly easier league, especially defensively. He was just getting even more goal returns. And then he ended up beat, overtaking Ibrahimovic's because uh, Ibrahimovic was the top goal scorer for them. He overtook that. He took that record nice. off him as well. Uh, it goes to show how many goals he scored for them. So I'm not surprised um, by anything he does, to be honest. With you. I think he's kind of kind of expected. Mm. He's one of the few strikers out there right now that actually looks like a true out-and-out striker. We've got a lot of good goal scorers, but, you know, that's because of the, the amount of volume or the volume of chances that is laid on the plate for them. But actual, like, natural number nines, we've got... Calvert-Lewin is a good number nine. Harry Kane, of course. Cavani. Um, I guess you could you say Vardy, Bang. but... Don't just judge him on this year, though. Don't just judge him on this year, man. Aubameyang's way... No, but what I mean is, with Aubameyang, he's a great goal scorer. But I'm, I'm talking natural number nines, people who have brilliant movement up front. Aubameyang, oh, you're talking seems... in that... Yeah, oh yeah. yeah, no. If you're talking, I'm just. I was just talking more as like a, a, a as finisher, forward. like a number nine. who's a who's a forward who's just a, a great finisher. Who's oh no, no. I'm both. talking about the complete number nine, like Lewandowski. I know I'm saying a lot of big names. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get what you're saying. Yeah, it, it's. I, w- I wouldn't put. I wouldn't put Calvert Lewin. I wouldn't put Calvert Lewin up there. I, I don't think it's category. high quality, but he he seems like a very traditional number nine. You know, get into mm. the box, target right. man, sort of thing. Yeah, like yeah, no, he's, he's very good aerial wise, but uh, when he hold, yeah, he can hold up the ball, but his actual distribution of the ball, because if you if we're talking about players who are comfortable on the ball, can carry the ball forward, maybe do a dribble here and there, I wouldn't put Calvert Lewin in that category. Yeah, he's not the best on the ball, but you know what I'm saying? But his movement he, off the ball, a... his aerial threat, his finishing, he has massively yeah. improved this year. It has, it has, but. But yeah, that's one of the, the praises that I do have for Cavani. And with United, this season, I didn't actually think they'll do as well as they did. I thought Bruno was just going to carry him maybe to top five, top four if they was lucky. But I think they're starting to prove everyone wrong. I feel like their players are starting to understand the way they play, if that makes sense. And they compensate no, for each other's strengths and weaknesses. The only, the, the biggest kind of, question mark of United and where you could potentially argue they might have underperformed is obviously one being are they going to end up with a trophy or not because at the end of the day all successful teams are judged on trophy success mm. Um, mm. and two is the way they fell out in the Champions League because again that could be that could kind of end up stalking them do you get um, and mm. it is it is a big um, turning factor in the season because they had two games to go. They were at the top of the table. They were pretty much favourites to go through and they somehow ended up bottling that. So for a team of Man United stature to, to kind of get out of the group stages, to get knocked out of the group stages, is does kind of leave a, a big blemish on the season, if you ask me it personally. It, it does, it does. But I feel like if they finish strong, if they win the Europa League, I think that's... It's not the best. I'm not going to pretend like it is as good as win the Champions League. 
But I still think that they can finish the season with their head held high if they maintain their current form, finish second and win the Europa because I would say that they're favourites probably in that competition. There's not many teams that are playing at their level that are in that competition. The only other team I can think of is are entering the Europa League. I don't think they are. Uh, Some like Arsenal, Roma, um, Ajax. Ajax, still in it. Um, there's an, there's another another team. Yeah, that's them. With with yeah. with with Emery as well. He's basically the king of that competition. So yeah, yeah, that's I, the so, thing. Yeah, that's, I, yeah he, they're definitely favourites as well. Yeah, yeah. so United are favourites to win that competition. I feel like if they win the Europa League and get second, that is a strong season for yeah, definitely United. In comparison to where have been they've been in the past five years. Don't they? I actually I don't feel like the mighty the, the mighty Arsenal man. Come on, man, Arsenal. They're gonna, they're gonna win that. Like, like they thought they were gonna win it. Like they thought they were gonna win it yeah, last time, and they got slapped up. What, what was the score again? Do you remember that? I can't I even remember. I, was, I, was watching, I can't, I can't I was even remember that one. Still, I was watching the review there. Uh, they they yes, thought they were confident. They were Chelsea. confident. They thought they were gonna win that final as well. They're like, oh yeah, Pante's injured, Rudiger's injured. Yeah, we got this. Bro. We got this. I remember that. I remember every Arsenal fan. They were saying, yeah, yeah, no, 100%, blood. Yeah, we're going to win this. And then all I know is Drew done. Drew and Hazard just done a master oh, show and it's spanked the these, man. Do you know what I'm saying? This, that was... Imagine, imagine there was... Um, if people were actually allowed to come into that stadium because I think there was... Was it due to travel restrictions? Like, there wasn't yeah. any, any there was a lot of travel restrictions. Like, any, there wasn't yeah. a lot of fans allowed in. Yeah, 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 that was a mad one with the whole travelling thing back then. A, a lot of the people in the stadium as well were like corporate and like corporate people. And the mm. amount of actual fans in there was very low. In comparison yeah, to the size of the stadium. Yeah. And imagine there were fans allowed. Yeah, that would have been, been embarrassing. Imagine watching that. Imagine watching <laughs> that, bro. You're watching the final, you expected a tight game and you're just getting spanked. You know what I'm saying? Uh, <laughs> There's nothing I can say yes. to that one, bro. <laughs> so, that it was, was a long game for you lot that day. Embarrassing. Yeah. But they, but, yeah, no, no, but no, you, they've, man, they've created a new European competition just for Arsenal, the the conference. Thirty. <laughs> said just for Arsenal, you know. Just for Arsenal, bro. You never know. You might actually win that one. <laughs> Liverpool could be there too. Who knows? We'll meet you there in the finals. <laughs> <laughs> we'll meet you there. But I think you might are right though. I think I'll, if you was to put kind of Villarreal because of. The, the history Emery has with, with Europa League and probably United probably the two closest if he was to put money on. Mm. Yeah, I mean, Roma I'm, could do something. They're, they're half a decent side. I'm not sure, man. No. I think... Yeah, I think was... I'll be honest. I think Arsenal Ajax have a better chance than Roma. If you ask yeah, me, but... same. Yeah. No, I hear that. I hear that. But that brings us over to the next part of the podcast and I believe Dre has some questions specifically yeah. designed for our guest. Um <laughs> yeah, especially yeah I've got some good questions still. Um okay that's a good one. For this segment yeah this week we are going to be bringing back the player comparisons. Yeah. Yes. And okay. yeah so this week I've tried to cater it to Chelsea as much as I can. Yeah. So there's going to be a lot yeah. of Chelsea players, could be other Chelsea-related questions, stuff like that. I've got a few, 
Um, so yeah, let's just run through them. Let's get into it. And yeah, yeah and, and see where this goes. So first one, yeah. Saka or Pulisic? <laughs> Big question. Hey. Big question. You know what? He was probably paying attention to what we were talking about today because he put that. <laughs> I mentioned both of them. Yeah. 100%. 100%. Oh, that's a tough one still. Um, what are you saying? Because obviously this year, like if we're talking about performance for this year, obviously Saka and then last year, I would have put Pulisic. But are we just talking about this season or? Um, yeah, overall as a player. Overall. Because you know, that makes it easier. Because they, they obviously Pulisic is a little bit older, but they're both quite young players with high potential. Yeah. Like, I would I would obviously like to say both, but um let me just go with my Chelsea bias a bit and say Pulisic. <laughs> yeah. I'll go Saka. I think I think objectively, um Pulisic over his well, I say over his career, like he's been that long. But I feel like there's been more hype around him. I feel like there's been more international onlookers and there's been a lot more interest in his development from other clubs. And I feel like when you look at him, he looks like a winger that can really progress into a world-class player. Whereas with Arsenal, what, what hurts Saka, in my opinion, is that you, you lot have gotten him to play in so many different positions that I feel like He's, he's very talented at carrying the ball and he's talented at seeing a pass and he can defend. But where he shines is in his versatility. Whereas, yeah. is he really good or does he excel in one area above most others? I wouldn't say so. For someone like Arsenal, it's really good to have a versatile player. But like, if we was to say on the international stage, the reason why someone like Saka might not get into the England squad is because you can pick like three left backs and then three winners and then three centre mids. You don't you, necessarily need to bring Saka. What's your but answer? would you not say? But would you not say um, when Saka was playing kind of pre- predominantly right wing for the first half mm. of the season, where he was again, that's when Saka was best performing. Yeah, when he, when mm. Saka, when Saka was literally carrying yeah. Arsenal when he was uh, playing being played right wing game after game. So I, th- I, I think Saka. Yeah. That is arguably maybe because even when he was playing left back or right back, he was always a winger. He was just kind of forced into those positions due to injuries and whatnot. But I feel like when he was playing right wing and he was playing their game after game, he was heads and like, what's the saying? Is it um, heads and shoulders, shoulders above over? Us. Yeah, above pretty much every other Arsenal player. So I do feel like um, he's not just a versatile player. Personally, I think he's versatile, but he can also play really effectively in, in his position as well. Fair enough. Oh, so, no, I, I do agree. I do think that right wing is his best position and he's been playing there very well. It's just also, is it that he's been playing well or is it that he's just seen play, uh, he's playing better than everyone else in the Arsenal squad? And I'm not saying that that's my opinion. I'm just kind of throwing that out there in the uh, sort of thing. What's your answer? I wouldn't. Between. Yeah, go on. No, yeah, give your answer. Oh, sorry, sorry. I, I would say Pulisic. I, be, okay. I believe that as a player, it's best to pick one player who's better in that area. Calm. All right. So Pulisic wins that one. We're going to move on because we've got quite we got quite a few to get through. Um, okay. We have 
Carvalho, so the centre back for Chelsea, or Sol Campbell? Because mm. so that's that's a tough, tough one. one. I think I think career wise, Sol Campbell would you would have to give it to him just due to his overall success over the years. But I think if we're just looking at maybe a shorter period of time, I think Carvalho back at Chelsea around the, the kind of 04, 05 and 08, 07. The, the time when he was in his prime and he was playing at Chelsea alongside Terry, mm. he was phenomenal as well. But I also do believe maybe Terry had a part in his his, his high performance because usually anyone who's kind of been partnered with Terry has always performed well as well. Because even when, when we look at Cahill, Cahill was performing brilliantly under Terry. And then when Terry kind of wasn't playing as much due to old age or when he left Chelsea, Cahill's performances dropped drastically. So I would probably have to give it to Sol Campbell, I'd say, but again, that's a tight one. Yeah. I would say Sol Campbell. Campbell. Uh, Daz, who are you saying? Yeah, I'll definitely have to go Sol Campbell with this one. Calm. All right. Next one. The big England question. Was it Lampard, Lampard or Gerard? Was it Lampard oh. or Gerard? It On has to be asked. England question. It has to be asked. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. Has to be. What I'm actually interested to see what your what your view is on this one. What my view? Yeah. Uh, again, that's 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 a tough question, and it because that's what, as a like a goal scorer. For Lampard to do what he's done to be, was it number six or number seven top goal scorer in Premier League history? Mm, to get 20 plus goals uh, in a single season, his goal contribution and his overall influence in the team. It wasn't just that, like he actually played such a pivotal role. But again, Gerard is just, I, I could just, when you say Gerard, I just remember the times when him, him and Torres just used to link up. It was just like mm. magic. The mm. way Gerard always be able mm. to just ping the ball to whether that even Suarez, whether that be to Suarez or Fernando Torres, and yeah. just always he always be able to find the pass, his leadership, um, that Denver Bar moment you can never forget that. You know what I'm saying? <sighs> of course, when Chelsea man fans got everyone, man got man got everyone in the huddle and like, yeah, yeah, guys, let's not, please, <laughs> I can't even put do the scouts accent. Let's not slip up, guys. Let's not slip up. And then man, man was doing like the the. Fucking moonwalk there, but um, <laughs> yeah, that's think... a tough one, man. I don't like you could it, 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 you can't really argue if someone says one way or the other. I don't think there's yeah a, a right, or wrong, right or wrong exactly. Um, obviously, I again, if, is, when when I'm uh... tight, I would just go with my Chelsea bias and say Lampard in it, but they're both brilliant players. Yeah, the difference between the two is marginal, as Ag said. There's no right or wrong answer either way. The only thing I will say is that where it came to Gerard, I think you could the evolution in his playing career was a little bit more evident than in Frank Lampard's career, in the sense of when he was young, you saw Gerard play on the right midfield, then he started playing a bit further up the pitch at the camp position. Then as he got older, playing centre mid, and then he ended his career as a defensive midfielder. And I feel like Gerard was a bit more of a complete midfielder, whereas Lampard, he was just phenomenal at what he did. I'm not saying that he didn't play in other positions, like deeper into the pitch or whatever. I just feel like the 
evolution of Gerard is a bit more evident, if that makes sense. Um, all right. So I would say Gerard, just because of what Gerard done individually for Liverpool, I think was a bit more impressive. So Gerard will win that one. Um, mm. Next one, Diego Costa. Or the only thing I would add to that, though, is I, I feel like him not winning the title tarnishes it a little bit as well, though, personally. Because mm. I feel like when you when you want to be classified as best in your area or whatnot, um, it's not it, it's not solely down to personal achievements. Of course, personal achievements play probably is the biggest dictating factor, but the success you bring to your team also plays a big part. Because the reason why people tend to separate Maradona from Messi is because what Maradona done for Argentina mm. based on what he or what he would have done for Napoli. That's what separates when you get very close play. When you get two players of very high calibre, sometimes what they've achieved as a club kind of would be the deciding factor. Has to be the deciding factor. The only thing I will say is though is that Lampard has always been in a better squad than Gerrard throughout their careers. I wouldn't necessarily say that, bro. When you guys won the Champions League with Gerrard, your squad was... That was a terrible squad. Our squad was better in 2007. I can tell you that. It was a terrible squad, bro. From time, yeah. Uh, sorry, that's a that's a hyperbole. But compared to Chelsea's squad, you lot have historically had a better squad than us in the Premier League era. It's only yeah, we might we might have, but what we need to look into, we're looking at a, a window of how how many years was Gerald at Liverpool? I don't want to like, I don't know exactly about, from the top of my head. Around about fourteen to sixteen years, I think. Okay, so in fourteen to sixteen years, that's what I'm saying. If you look at the the, the ratio, he hasn't even won it once. So yeah, I don't want Chelsea, to see, no, yeah, I'm say saying Chelsea's been a strong. Squad. No, I'm I'm only uh, addressing the the aspect of who's won a Premier League or who hasn't. Okay, so I was just saying that Chelsea's generally had the best squad in the years. In that sixteen years, Liverpool should have won it at least once. No, that Gerald was there. Uh, no, because I could go back to recently um, the the one that comes to my mind, the era when it was when with Brendan Rodgers and they were so close with Suarez uh, and whatnot that, that, right, that is the only season where Liverpool should have won it um, that's, okay, the, that's, this what I'm trying to say. So that's the difference that's for me if I'm looking at two players of similar calibre what they their success with their club would probably be the tipping point for which player I go for in it personally like I said so I'll just that's I'll stick enough. with Lampard on that one fair enough no. right. the next one um, Diego Costa or Firmino Costa, Diego Costa. Costa. I don't even have to think about that. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to say Costa as well. Um, yeah, Costa, Costa. Next one, Alonso. Like, the only thing right. I want to add on the Costa is just yeah. like his goal ratio at Chelsea was crazy. Like he was literally getting yeah, it was just under one to two, like one goal every two two games, just under that. So great, it was mad. And two the two seasons he won but, the title, he 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 missed about a third of the season, and he still got about twenty goals. They just go the to only thing is, they're two different types of players. Yeah, they are. They are. So um, it's a it's a I bit hard to compare because what Firmino's role, he enabled Salah and Mane to reach the amount of goals that they've got. And I can't remember what guest star we had, but stats aren't always everything because there's been so many world class players that statistically just doesn't match up. Uh, your one of your legends is a perfect example of it, Didier Drogba. Probably, I'll say, top five strikers that the Premier League's ever seen. Statistically, he doesn't stand up in the top five, but 
if for people that know and watch football, they know that DJ Jogba was so influential to the way you play. Yeah, hundred. Yeah, and the no, same thing is for, true. Firmino, without Firmino, Salah wouldn't have got his thirty-two goals in a league, or yeah. been Golden Boot winner. So that's not for me to say that Firmino is better than Diego Costa, two different players. But I have to give him his his credit. No, that's hundred percent true. The only thing I would add on the Firmino, I'm not saying he should be getting numbers, the Costa numbers, for example, because like you said, the role he has in the Liverpool side is completely different to Costa's role in Chelsea. But when you watch Liverpool games, there's certain chances, similar to Gabriel Jesus, if you man watch City, they they both seem to have a similar issue because Jesus kind of plays not exactly like Firmino, but a, a similar type of role where he tries to bring in the, the, the attacking players, the wingers into the game. He he holds the ball well. He can kind of dribble and pass it quite well as well. But their end product is quite poor. Um, mm. They do tend to miss quite a lot of opportunities. So even though I'm not saying Firmino should be scoring 20, 25 goals, but I do believe he should definitely, even if, if, if we want to be more specific, specific this year, should have scored a lot more goals than what he has. Because if you look at the oh, opportunities yeah, he's missed... You can't you can't blame that on anyone else but but them but themselves because yeah so but yeah Firmino's I like Firmino I think Firmino's a good player I like him but I don't think as impact if we're talking about impact to the squad I think Costa especially in the two title seasons was was definitely more. Calm. All right, we got we got three more and then we will finish. So the big one. Van Dyke or John Terry? Oh, that is tough. again. I'm going to say John Terry just due to longevity. Long ter- John Terry was doing bossing it for how many? Would you say a decade or whatnot? But for a very very long time. Whereas uh, Van Dyke only got into the picture. We're talking about world world level, like world class level, when he joined Liverpool. But prior to that, when he was at Southampton, he was a good he was a good centre back. He was definitely one of the better centre backs in the Premier League. But he wasn't at that elite level. He wasn't at the elite level at Celtic. So he only he only became that star when he joined Liverpool. Whereas I feel like John Terry has just been bossing it throughout his Chelsea career, pretty much. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say Van Dijk for the set reason that if we're talking about instant impact to a club. I think Van Dyke's introduction to Liverpool was one of the greatest impacts that I've seen in my time yeah, watching true. Liverpool. Uh, literally, we were struggling. We was the team struggling to get top four, scraping it. The second we get Van Dyke, uh, well, yeah, when we got him Van Dyke, we got into a Champions League final. Him and Allison, Champions League final, then win the Champions League with 97 points in the league, and then winning the league with 98 points. His impact to that Liverpool squad has been immense and if we're looking at the skill and quality of each player I think John Terry is one of the greatest defenders that I've ever seen but he was very good at the type of defender he was whereas Van Dijk for me is one of the most complete defenders because he can do it all Um, he can tackle he can get rough he's one of the best in the air Uh, he can command he's a great leader all of these things John Terry is as well but is Van Dijk's also silky on the ball? His range of passing was phenomenal. The only thing I'll say to the, uh, and I do agree, obviously Van Dijk is much better on the ball, but I would also believe 
personally, I feel like the era they were playing in played a part. Because the era that John Terry was playing in, defenders weren't really expected to be comfortable on the ball or very good on the ball. Whereas the era we're in now, we expect centre-backs to be ball-playing centre-backs to play a high line and whatnot. Whereas if that was expected from John Terry back in the day, he probably would have adapted his game for that reason. So, because when you're costly, because they are two different eras of football at the end Mm. of the day. So, whereas now, every centre-back, even if you're playing for bottom side, you're expected to be comfortable on the ball. Whereas back in the day, when we're talking about 15, 20 years ago, that wasn't the case. It was very rare to find a very comfortable centre-back. I I do agree with you. But unfortunately, this the question is phrased in such a such a way that it, it it's almost like tough tough luck on John Terry because if yeah, we're I saying just, yeah, but I, no, I, I do agree like with what John you're Terry saying. personally. Like I said, John Terry personally, I feel like his longevity and impact he's had is quadruple what Van Dyke's done because Van Dyke's only been popping, like I said, really popping for last few like two three years, two and a half years. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, so. With the last two, the last two are questions we have asked before, but I think it'll be interesting to hear what Ag's answers are on them. So the next one is Salah or Hazard. Oh, uh, there's like I said, I'm gonna go Hazard, but like I said, um, I did mention that he was he was my favorite Chelsea player at the time. So <laughs> there might be a bit of bias into it, but again, it's they are, even though they're both forward men, obviously Hazard be on the left, Salah be on the right. I do feel like Salah is more your kind of, more your Cristiano Ronaldo, Messi type mode, where they do kind of transition throughout the forward line, mm-hmm. maybe being the last man on the pitch, like the most forward. Even though Firmino plays the false nine, he could be a lot of games ahead of Firmino in, on, the, on the forward line. So, they they are quite going back to what we were saying. They are uh, with the Firmino and um, Costa. They are quite different type of players. Where with Salah, you're going to get way more goals, without a doubt. Like he's he's just a much better. Even when he was at Roma, he was he probably scored more goals than Hazard would in general. But I just yeah. feel like as a oh as natural talent, I think naturally Hazard's a better player, more gifted player, and. Um, the, the impact that he had on that Chelsea side was was very, 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 very big. Like, um, the way he just changed Chelsea and transitioned Chelsea, for me, uh, it would put him ahead. But if someone said Salah, it'd be difficult to argue with that. But I feel like they are quite different players. Um, if I wanted to compare Salah, I would compare him to like a more of a goal-scoring type winger. Whereas mm. Hazard is more as your more of a complete player, more, more of an overall where he he has a lot of assists. He he kind of he's very he eliminates a lot of defenders from the game. Very good dribbler. He I think he was the most fouled player for a lot of the seasons he was here. He he always tried to get double um, double digits on goals and assists. So his game is very balanced. Um, I feel like he bit more. Not to say Hazard's a he had the massive defensive con- contribution, but I think he probably contributes a bit more than Salah as well. Um, I think yeah. when it comes to Eden Hazard, what annoys me is that based on technical ability, I think he blows most Salah out the water. I am just annoyed with Hazard because I feel like for his talent and his potential, he should have been a world breaker. 
he should have been on the level that Neymar's on. You know, we should when we saw what Hazard, we should be thinking about Neymar. We should be thinking of players like Suarez, players like uh, I don't know. Think think of a world class player, Kevin De Bruyne, that that level of talent. And I think that there are many moments in Hazard's career where he did reach that. It's just I expected more of Hazard. I know there's a lot of for a lot of the seasons, and I'm sure Ags will correct me on this. Uh, he would have been very very influential to the way Chelsea plays whether he got a goal and assist or didn't. And I don't believe in the concept of a player can only be good if he gets a certain amount of stats. The issue is, I feel like there have been many other times where he is underperformed for Chelsea. And there are times where I think you had this critique of Firmino. Hazard could have contributed more directly to, to goals. And I just feel like Salah, with the talent that he has, was more effective and more efficient, which is why... Though I rate Hazard's technical ability much higher than Salah's, I feel like the peak of their careers, Salah's peak, was higher than Eden Hazard's peak. And well, would you not say he has his time at... Because obviously, I don't know if you're taking into account his Real Madrid spell. Obviously, I'm not really... I'm not, I'm not, I'm not counting his Real Madrid spell, just okay. Chelsea. Yeah. So if you look at Chelsea, a lot of the seasons he was there, people on a general consensus, we'll probably agree that he was the best player in the Premier League. 100%. Even, and that's what I said. We're talking about, even, if, even when we're talking about when Kevin De Bruyne was there and stuff, even though Kevin De Bruyne was always in contention for being the Ooh. best, he was still above Kevin De Bruyne at the time. Because even when we were looking at that Belgium side, Hazard had, for me anyways, he was more influential, hence why being the captain over De Bruyne for that Belgium side. And it, I feel like it was the same in the Premier League era as well. And Kevin De Bruyne only took over that that kind of crown when, uh, personally, if you ask me, when De Bruyne, le- uh, when Hazard left. But for me, Hazard for, uh, was he there six or seven years? For mo- but seven more years. than half of that, that those seasons, he was definitely the best player in the Premier League. And he even won the PFA Player of the Year as well. Um, Look, I, I know I, Salah has as well when he first came his debut season. So they're both brilliant plays, but I just feel like... 100%. Uh, I mean, I, I, I did say, yeah, I, I do think Hazard, on technical ability, is one of the best players that the Premier League has ever seen. Because just him on the ball, there's, there are times where he was just simply unplayable. It's just... <sighs> okay, but who would you say... I'm not, even, yeah. I'm not even talking about technical now. I'm just talking about overall, in, like, their performance and influence on the team. Journey spell at Chelsea, who would you say was performing better than him in the Premier League? I would say Sanchez for like one year. Yeah, that's that season. I know what season you're talking about, but that season, Hazard was brilliant as well. But yeah, oh, you could argue I, that um, Sanchez had a better season that, that single year. I'll, I'll tell you what, this is how I view Hazard. I, I feel sorry for Hazard because he has suffered in the Premier League, similar to what has to what Lewandowski has suffered throughout his career. If, if you look at Lewandowski's career, you'll say he's probably always been the, in the top five best strikers in the world, right? Yeah. But it's like, it almost felt like for like two years, this striker was just a little bit better than him. And then for the next two years, a different striker was just a little bit better than him, which caused him to never ever or very rarely be the best striker in the world at one specific time. Lewandowski should have won the Bandor last year, but I'm just talking in general. I feel like if you're looking at Hazard over the seven years, 
you would say for, for the longevity and for what he's shown, he's probably been top five performers in the Premier League era. It's just there's been a lot of years where there's just been one person better than him or another person that's just... No, but that's what I'm trying to say. Him. In that six to seven years, who would you have said? So obviously, Dre said that uh, Sanchez, uh, there was a season where Sanchez was, which which is uh, understandable. Like I said, Sanchez was brilliant that year as well. I think but Agu- who else uh, Aguero, comes Aguero at one stage, Harry Kane at one stage, as in just players or just simply wingers. No, I'm just talking players, yeah. I was just talking more uh, players. Just players. Uh, I think Aguero has been better than him at one stage. Harry Kane has been better than him. Sanchez has been better than him. Okay, so over that six him. years, let me ask another yeah. question then. Over those six years, what player, what's the one player you, so during the time that Hazard was there, what's the one player that you choose from the Premier League to say, look, like, for me, this guy was the best player over that six-year period in the, in the I'll, Premier I'll League? Actually, no, I agree with you here. I'll say Hazard on the set of, he was just fantastic. It's oh, just, that's yeah, what, so that's what I'm trying to get. Over that six-year period, obviously there was highs and lows, but if you look at overall, I don't think there was a player that performed better than Hazard over those six yeah, to seven this years. Is, this is why I kind of uh, stated that. Hazard. I just feel like the peak of Salah is higher than the peak of Hazard. That That's all. That's all. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, his peak season at Liverpool was amazing. So. Fair enough, man. Well, I guess we'll end it there. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So how much how much am I getting paid does then? Is there a bank transfer thing outside? Oh when Dre pays me overtime as well. Dre pays when Dre pays me, you'll get your cut, fam. (laughs) I'm expecting that in three to five working days, yeah. What like hundred percent? I would say three to five working years. Nah, man, don't don't give up in it. As long as you man keep on going, yeah, I feel trust. like there's there's someone's always gonna notice it. And with some people, it could take it could be relatively soon. With some people, it's a long term project. If that makes sense, it could take yeah. three to five years before it, it starts blowing up. And there's a lot of examples of that. There's some people that you call the overnight success, and some people that just have to kind of grind to get to that level. Exactly, one hundred percent. Thanks for the support. But um, no, thank you love everyone for having me on. Yeah, yeah thank you everyone man. for listening. Thank you for our guest star for coming on, and we hope you all have a great evening. Yeah, thank you guys. Yeah, man. Enjoy everyone. Enjoy the evening as well. And like I said, I just want to end it off with saying Liverpool and Arsenal are shit. Chelsea's the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me. I had, to, I had to put that in there. Of to course. be continued. And I TV. don't cut that out. Hey, Dad, don't cut that out. You know? I'm going to watch the podcast. I'm going to watch it till the end. <laughs> you do that. You do that. All right. Have a good one. All right, bless.